Well, good morning, everyone. If you're a headline reader or if you have any social media presence at all, you would know that recently there has been a cosmic occurrence happening in our skies. It's called the Great Conjunction, and what it is is the two planets, Jupiter and Saturn, in our night skies, converging to their closest point. So when viewed with the unaided eye, it looks as if and appears as if it's just one bright star in the sky. And since this is happening so close to Christmas, a lot of people have dubbed it the Christmas star. How many of you guys have heard about it or seen it? Yeah, many of you guys. And the thing about this Christmas star is, according to articles, the last time it happened was over 800 years ago. And the next time it's going to happen is in the year 2080. And if you've missed this, I do have a picture of it, and it looks something like this. Oh, it looks like there was something in the way there. You can thank our wonderful cloudy CNY weather for it, right? It seems as if uh, 2020 is trying to go out with a bang, and it still has a couple jokes for us, doesn't it? But uh, in all seriousness, here's what it really looks like. I borrowed these from the internet. Uh, there's Jupiter and Saturn, and here's another picture of it, a little bit more separated. Isn't that amazing? You can actually see the rings around Saturn. It's absolutely fantastic. I mean, this is all credit to our God, right? He's an amazing creator. He's an amazing artist. He's the best at it, right? It's amazing. So we give God praise for things like that. But um, I think for a, a lot of us, I think what these cosmic displays uh, do for us is it stirs our souls. It can take our breath away. It can stir up awe and wonder in our hearts. And it can prompt us to pause and to consider the splendor of the creator, right? They give us perspective. They might make us feel small and then surface questions in our hearts like if we're worth consideration when you consider the rest of creation. And here's a passage of scripture that sums up this thought perfectly. It comes from Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. It says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? You know, here the psalmist conveys this feeling of, of smallness, of, of insignificance, by asking the question, how can an almighty, all-powerful God who created the entire universe just by speaking it into being be mindful of me? That he can consider me. How can a God who orchestrates the movement of the sun, moon, and galaxies, and stars really consider me and think of me. Maybe this year has been one where you have uh, faced loss. Maybe this year for you has been uh, one that you have felt insignificant. Maybe you have felt slighted or even isolated. Or maybe you have uh, felt forgotten or even hurt. Well, friend, this morning I have some good news for you that God has not forgotten about you or abandoned you. He is always good and caring, and he does think of you. You know, our God is always mindful of you. He knows what you're thinking. He considers your heart. He doesn't forget about you. In the year of this great pandemic, how can we know that God really does still have a plan for our lives 
It seems as if everything is on pause right now and life can be messy. And maybe it is for you. And just like those clouds which obscured the view of that great conjunction, I think the chaos of this year may have clouded our ability to clearly see and remember our mission as Christ followers. You know, so much of this year has been out of our control. It's affected us deeply to our core and in many areas of our lives. Our family dynamics are now different. Our friendships are different. Our work looks different. Our country and society and political landscape has completely changed and even our relationships with Jesus. And if we're honest, I think some of us have really truly disconnected from the body of Christ. I think many of us, it's affected our personal discipleship for us. And if we're being honest with ourselves, right, it's affected our discipleship of others. So let's turn to God's word together this morning to reset our focus on what he desires for our lives as we approach the new year of 2021. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a popular Christmas passage in Matthew chapter 2. So this morning, we're going to take a look at the story of the Magi to see how their story helps us understand what God's plan and purpose for us is. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12. Let's read it. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw this star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. What amazing story, right? What an amazing story. It's filled with nuances, different layers. But I think it'll help us all to be familiar with some certain key players in this story. So I wanted to go through them quickly. First, we have the Magi, right? Maybe some of you are familiar with them uh, with another term, the wise men. These guys were astrologers from the East. And contrary to popular belief, a lot of people think that there were only three wise men. But according to researchers and Bible scholars, they were supposed to have way more than just three of them because 
they were supposed to be bringing an entourage with them. This is believed because they made a scene, as the scriptures just said, when they came into Jerusalem. The Magi were professional stargazers. They were highly educated, uh, but they also dabbled in the mystics. They dabbled in magic. The root word of magi is, or excuse me, the root word of magic is magi. And so they dabbled in magic. And most scholars believe that they were probably somewhere from around the area of Arabia, uh, Persia, or Babylon. But most, the, the most important fact about the magi is that they were Gentiles. They were pagans. They didn't believe in the, in the one true God. They were unbelievers. More than likely, they worshipped many kings and many gods from their eastern religions. We also have King Herod. Many of you guys are familiar with him. King Herod was a Roman uh, appointed king of Judea, and he ruled during the time of Jesus' life. As a king, he generally was successful in regards to his building projects. He really did help his area prosper, but he was also known as a tyrant he also was known to rule with hostility, and he did, as we know from the scriptures, he did order the massacre of many, many innocent children. There are also the chief priests here, the scribes, and these were comprised of the Sadducees, who were essentially the teachers of the law. This group, they dedicated their whole lives to the knowledge of the scriptures, uh, the law, which was mainly comprised uh, of the Jewish Torah. This group was highly educated. They were professional Bible scholars and teachers who Herod turned to to find out where this new king was going to be born because, of course, they would know. You also have Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Joseph was with her with a newborn baby Jesus. And in the scripture passage, what we're getting is we're getting a tiny little window into the view, into the birth of Jesus and the Magi coming to worship him. It's only 12 verses, and this story is only found in Matthew. But essentially, to unpack what is going on in this scripture, it means that the Magi were essentially leaving everything that they were familiar with to come get a glimpse of the king, to worship him, including the comforts of the home. They were leaving that to go on a journey to seek out the long-awaited, expected king, Jesus. And the first thing that I want to share with you that we learned from the Magi about what God desires for our lives is this. This is our first point, that we would come and see Jesus, that we would come and see him. Our God is an invitational God. He doesn't force his will on our lives, but he ordains things in our lives with gentleness and grace. Many of you guys might have heard that our God is a gentleman. He's patient. He is kind. And our God is sovereign. And everything in our lives, God ordains. And in our text, the Magi, they received this incredible invitation, right, to come and worship the King, Jesus. We don't know what the original source of their knowledge was about this King being born. It could have been by the word of mouth. It could have been from an ancient text or a scripture. But the important piece of information here is the fact that they knew. They knew it. So they gathered this entourage, and they packed up their resources, and they made their voyage to Jerusalem. They were excited and passionate about finding this king so that they could worship 
and bless him with gifts. So they left their lives behind, and they brought people with them to go on this voyage and seek out the newborn king, Jesus. More than anything, they wanted to come and see Jesus. And they wouldn't have known Jesus unless God invited them to come see him. And God ordained their knowledge of, their, of his birth. And more than that, God moved the cosmos for them. God was using what they knew about to invite them to come and see the king so that they could know exactly where Jesus was. Before they left their homeland, all they knew was that they were headed to Jerusalem. They didn't know specifically where Jesus was in Jerusalem, and that's why they asked when they arrived there. They had to rely, though, on God's navigational beacon, that Christmas star, to lead them to that very spot where Jesus was in his manger. What trust and faith it took them for them to leave it all behind to come and see Jesus. For us, when we come and see Jesus, it means that we need to leave some things behind, doesn't it? Some things that we hold really tightly and dearly to. Disciples are leavers. We leave behind the lesser things in our lives to trust, worship, and to build our lives upon the truth of the good news of Jesus. And the Magi, they were leavers too. They left behind their families. They left behind their work, their homes, comfort, and security to go and to get a glimpse and for them to come and see Jesus. You know, the, the title of the sermon series that we're in right now is called Hopes and Fears, where we've been examining the hopes of, and fears of the people in the Christmas story. And for the Magi, I'm sure they feared going on this journey that was in front of them. This wasn't a short trip. It wasn't something that was quick, come and go. It wasn't three hours there and three hours back, no. And it wasn't even a safe one for them either. They had to leave their homelands. In fact, this journey was possibly a death sentence for the Magi. I'm sure they feared losing their lives. They had to trek a long distance. They needed to pack sustenance, resources, food, and water with them. And injury and illness at this time was obviously a higher risk than it is for us to travel now. It could have struck at any time for them. The threat of mercenaries, warring tribes, or warring nations with them could have got the best of them. Bands of thieves, robbers, they could have been awaiting a convenient target. But for most, uh, for, for them the most, King Herod could have had their lives at any time for them bowing their knees at this newborn king. Because this newborn king was a threat to his throne, wasn't it? And he wanted to protect it. When we come and see Jesus and behold his beauty, our hearts are awakened to a new king in our lives. As Pastor David mentioned in the first part of the series, hopes and fears are just the opposite side of the same coin, right? If the Magi feared losing their lives, then their hopes would be that they would gain new lives. And not their earthly lives, not prosperous lives, but new lives and, and new hearts, reborn and transformed lives. You see, once we come and see Jesus, everything changes for us. Everything changes. What was once the center of our lives and our main focus then becomes peripheral. With Jesus at the center, everything else takes a back seat. We become less and he becomes greater. And the Magi, they knew this. They didn't leave their homes to come and worship Herod. They came to worship the newborn king, the true king, 
They were willing to face their demise for just a glimpse of the king. And friends, I have a question for you. What in your life are you willing to give up to get a glimpse of the king, to have your life transformed and reborn? What in your life are you willing to leave to worship and follow Jesus? Some of you may have had to give up family members to follow Jesus. Some of you have may, uh, may have had to leave a career field to follow Jesus. Many of you may have had to leave a lifestyle or to leave behind some addictions. And for most of us, I'm sure that we've given up just pieces of our lives, of ourselves. But have we given up all of ourselves to follow Jesus? As most of you know, my wife and I are recent foster parents uh, to two wonderful boys. And since this sermon is being recorded, I need to keep their names anonymous. But many of you have may, uh, may have met them already here at church. They usually attend the nursery. Uh, the older boy is three years old, and the younger one is 18 months. And here is a picture of them. Uh, we have to keep their faces anonymous. Uh, but this is the photo that we used for our Christmas card. This is the 18-month-old here that uh, Vicki is holding, and I'm holding the three-year-old, and we're here decorating our Christmas tree. It's been an amazing journey thus far. I think we're just over two months with fostering these amazing children. Um, these boys have such personalities, and if you've met them, you know that they're very, very lively, right? But being a parent is awesome. But it's also extremely hard. And if it looks like I'm not well-rested, it's because I'm not well-rested. <laughs> but uh, it's been awesome. But you know what? God has used this season in our life to open um, Vicki and I's hearts to the gospel in such a deeper and more profound way because we're discipling two young lives. As a discipler of two young boys, I leave behind my comfort. As a disciple of two young boys, I, I leave behind my very self to disciple them first and to serve them first. Vicki and I have had to die to ourselves in a whole new way as we parent and to raise and to love these boys, to consider them first over ourselves. And God did that exact same thing for us, didn't he? He left his comfort behind. He left his glory behind and gave up himself because he considered you first and not himself. God has welcomed us into his amazing story of redemption so that we can behold, right, the beauty of Jesus. To die to ourselves and to trust God with our lives. He's making all things new, and that includes your heart, friends. That includes your lives. And God moved the cosmos, right, to provide a beacon of hope, that Christmas star for the Magi, and he's doing the same thing for you. God uses everything in your lives, to point you to Jesus, whether that be a person in your life or through his word, the circumstances over your life, or even what feels like us waiting for the normalcy of life to return and to restart. God uses every little bit of your life to point us to Jesus, to tell the story of redemption. God's desire for our lives is that we first come and see Jesus to behold his beauty and be transformed so that we can, and here's our second point this morning, so that we can go and tell of Jesus. So that we can go and tell of Jesus. You know, it's no coincidence that the first recorded account in the Gospels 
of a group of people who come seeking Jesus as a group of pagans from a distant land. And God is so incredibly passionate about the nations that he rewrites their stories their stories, these people from a distant land. They're completely disconnected. They're non-believers who are separated from him. And God draws them unto himself using what they would be knowledgeable of. The stars. God is so passionately in love with all of the nations. He desires all people to come and to know him and to worship him from their hearts. And if he used what the Magi were familiar with, the stars, to draw them unto himself and to draw them to Jesus, wouldn't it stand to reason that God would have us use what we're familiar with to go and tell of Jesus? The end of our scripture passage about the Magi, it really doesn't do us any favors to reinforce this point because it doesn't specifically say that the Magi left and immediately told everyone what they did, what they went and saw, what, the, what their adventures were about like so many times in the gospel accounts when people do encounter Jesus. The same thing doesn't happen here. But just think for a moment about their profession. They were astrologers, right? They knew the sky. They dedicated their entire lives to this. And they knew about King Jesus being born. So wouldn't it stand to reason that the Magi would use their same knowledge to help tell the story of what they saw and what they witnessed? And more importantly who they worshiped. You see, God has designed and created us, each specifically, with a unique set of skills, talents, and abilities. And he's given us these gifts to use so that we can go and tell of Jesus. You know, it's Christmas time, as we know, obviously. We're all so used to uh, receiving gifts and giving gifts that are nice, nicely wrapped up, nicely tied with bows, neatly taped for most of us. Some of us guys here still struggle with that, I'm sure. Right, Pastor David? <laughs> but have you ever stopped to consider the gifts that God has created you with? Have you ever just paused and thought of this? You can breathe. You can speak, walk, write, work. You can create, plan. You can invest, raise a family, and also rest. And just as he uses every part of our lives so that we can come and see Jesus, God desires that we use every bit of our talents, giftings, and abilities in our lives so that we can go and tell of Jesus. For some of us, hearing those words, it might bring up some feelings of discomfort because maybe you've never shared your faith with someone. But telling people about Jesus doesn't have to be with your words only. Sharing Jesus, it does. It takes practice. It takes relying on grace and the empowerment of his spirit. But we primarily show the world Jesus by how we live. And this doesn't just mean how we behave. But it means living out the gospel in our daily lives by letting God's empowering, renewing, and transformational spirit work in us first and then out through us. As God renews our minds, our hearts, and our spirits, that'll work out of us naturally. And then how we care and influence those people that are around us. I'm going to invite up the band now as we get ready to respond through the singing of a song. But here at Trinity, you know, we're passionate about making disciples. 
Many of you might know our mission statement. It's to make disciples for the glory of our God and the good of our community. And this mission statement, it's just not something that we posted across our wall. And it's not something that we have taken and just pasted into our website. But this mission to make disciples for the glory of our God and the good of our community, it's ingrained into our church's DNA. And the reason why it is is because it's ingrained on the heart of our Savior and King, Jesus. Jesus, when he walked the earth, he was passionate about making disciples, and he did this first by finding his sheep. Friends, who are you finding? Who are you finding in your life? Who are you befriending? Who near you needs Jesus? God desires that we go and tell others, not so that we can fix them, but so that he can rescue them. God will put people in our lives not as projects to work on, but as image bearers who we can commit to love and to serve. God points people to us so that we can point them to Jesus. On that starry night in Bethlehem, God invited the Magi to come and to see Jesus so that they could make their way back home then to go and tell of Jesus, to go and to tell the story of their journey and who they fell down and worshipped. I think for a lot of us, I think sometimes that we get caught up in our feelings of maybe some awkward moments in our lives where we're like not quite sure how to muster up the words to correctly tell somebody about Jesus. But I think the best way that we can tell them about Jesus is by loving them and by serving them. And not in a fickle way, but in a committed way by saying, friend, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to battle for you in prayer. And I'm going to check in with you. And I'm going to let you know that I'm committed to you and your life. I think we have a lot to learn through this story. I think we have a lot to learn to know that these magi, they literally left it all behind so that they can come and just get a glimpse of King Jesus. I think for a lot of us, as we look to this Christmas story, we can see the beauty of what it takes to leave our old lives behind, to come and see Jesus, so that we can make our way back home to help love and serve others by telling them about the hope of Jesus. Friend, family, who are you telling Jesus to? Who is it that you're loving and serving by letting them see the resurrected King Jesus in your life? Let's pray.